Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a real joy for us to be able to be here on this last day of our conference together. I think we all still call it Harvey Cedars within our heart, and but we're thankful for the Lord's wonderful faithfulness that we've uh, seen and experienced. We've actually seen much of uh, his victorious life manifest, where at times the enemy would try to disrupt the conference and interrupt the technology and stuff, but we're thankful how we're not only able to hear of his victorious life, but able to see it in action as his word has been able to come forth. We're so thankful for that. And it's encouraging that many are gathered from so many wonderful to be together. We're looking forward to that day when we will all be together uninterrupted and unhindered by language and tongue, but all speaking that one heavenly language and singing those hallelujahs to our King together. Uh, let's have one more word of prayer before we start our time. Lord, we do come with worshipful hearts unto you today. Lord, as we have just experienced your great faithfulness, as we have seen your life being lived out through so many different ways this weekend, we return with an adoration unto you. And Lord, we're thankful that we can be those that are declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord over this day. Lord, we're thankful how you are a, a God who continues to speak to us in a living way. Each one of us offers ourselves unto you this morning. Lord, we, by faith, take a step that we would enter into the fullness of what you have for speaking, for hearing, for translating, and for all those behind the scenes working the technology. Lord, we're thankful that we're all here in the oneness that we have in you. And we have that same cry of, speak, Lord, thy servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like for us as we start to just consider our theme verse again uh, out of Zechariah 9. As we look at Zechariah 9, 9, we see, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a coat the foal of a donkey. We're thankful how our many brothers have shared about this. As one little phrase in there, your king is coming. When we have that word you in English, that can be singular or plural. And we're thankful that we can look at it in a very singular way. It's your king. It's my king. Each one of us. My king is coming for me. And also in a corporate way, we know that he's coming for his bride. Your king is coming for all of you, and we have that desire to be made ready. I'd like for us to look at uh, two other verses as we start this morning. These are both out of going to be out of Acts chapter 13. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him, or as a Darby translation has, not having known him, nor the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfill these by condemning him. And later on, as Paul is sharing with these ones in uh, Antioch of Pisidia, he says in the latter part of verse 41, he tells them, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone would describe it to you. You know, we thank, we're very thankful that as we come to this uh, time together, and we've been considering this matter of Christ, our King, we're just thankful how our brothers in many ways have been encouraging and sharing so much with us. 
There's been a richness and a fullness. And this morning, as we come to our last time together, what I have upon my heart as we're awaiting the Lord's second coming is I'd like to compare that with the Lord's first coming. As we look at the condition of God's people at his first coming, I think there'll be many lessons and many helpful things for us as we compare the first and second coming. Uh, we'll be amazed at the similarities because these are very strategic times. Uh, when our Lord came the first time, it was a strategic time. It was the fullness of days when he came. When our Lord comes the second time, it will be the fullness of days, his appointed time. And so I believe as we look back, we can, we can learn some lessons. Uh, our brother Lucio already has mentioned to us how as we go through the scriptures, so often we see the first and second coming intertwined together. Um, both as we saw in Zechariah and our other theme verse out of 1 Corinthians. So as we uh, look at these, we, we're thankful how, as we look back at, at his first coming, we can be encouraged. When we think about his, uh, his first coming, it's interesting as you look back through the Old Testament scriptures, there were over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that directly spoke of our Lord's uh, first coming. And then there were many other that were indirect. And as we consider these prophecies, we, we look back and, and they're very clear to us. We see the prophecy of his virgin birth. We see the, the prophecy of being born in Bethlehem of the tribe of Judah, the prophecy of his sinless life and uh, his atoning work of his death, his resurrection, of his ascension, and his promise of his return over and over. Even our, our theme verse, uh, that very specific verse uh, fulfilled literally, about how he entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Uh, these, and these verses were very well known uh, to the people and especially to the religious leaders, those that were the more serious religious ones, those chiefs and scribes, the Pharisees, and, and others who were really dedicated to the scriptures. They knew these scriptures. We remember there in Matthew, how when those wise men came to Herod looking for the king of the Jews, and he said, where is he to be born? They knew right immediately from that little prophet Micah. Uh, it takes us even time to figure out where Micah is in the Bible. But they looked and they said, he's coming from Bethlehem. When we think about the Lord at the Lord's first coming and the condition of his people, the, the ones at that time, they knew he was coming. They believed he was coming. They expected him to come. They were praying for him to come. And so often, even throughout the Gospels, we see the Lord even saying about his coming, as it was written, do a search sometime through the Gospels, that little phrase, quoting things from the Old Testament, as it was written, this is going to happen. As it was written, you're seeing this fulfilled. And with, with all this going on and all their knowledge and everything about it, how or, or why did, did so many miss him? You know, we look back and it's clear to us in, in hindsight, but how did these ones miss him? They, and one of the reasons they missed him was they had a false concept of the king. They had this picture, he was going to be the great liberator. He was going to free them from under the oppression of this Roman emperor, the Roman Caesar. And he was going to set up his own kingdom and they were going to rule. And they were going to be the mighty ones on the earth. And Praise God, one day they will be. But the, the timing of these, uh, their thought was wrong. And they didn't recognize um, a king coming in, riding on a little donkey. Uh, 
they had a, a false concept of Christ. And today, brothers and sisters, as we look and are waiting for the Lord's second coming, um, we see many similar characteristics. Um, and one of the similar characteristics is so there, there's a false concept of who the Lord is. Um, we'll talk a little more about that later. But, you know, do we love the Lord, that, that beautiful one that came riding on a donkey, that beautiful one described in Isaiah 53, the suffering Savior? And do we really see the King? Do we really know him? And I'm thankful for all that's been shared this weekend to refocus our eyes on who is the King. You know, the question was asked, who is the king? Do we know the king? And we can have concepts of him, but do we see that kingly character in nature? And that was what's so precious as we've heard so much this weekend. You know, we, as we're waiting for his second coming, uh, like the, those at the first coming, we, we believe he's coming. Uh, we're expecting him. We're praying about him coming. Actually, back in June of 1989, uh, be 31 years ago, at the Christian Family Conference in Richmond. The theme was the king is coming. That's 30 years ago, and we're still looking at that. How many times have we heard our, our dear brother Kong sharing in recent times, in particular is his last sharing, be ready, be ready, the king is coming. And what, what, what are the songs we love to sing? We love to sing Maranatha, expecting him. We love to sing that there, there's a whisper in the glory. That's one of my favorite hymns, I love it. Uh, but and we're waiting for his return. But but how real is this to us? Uh, is it simply a teaching, a doctrine? Is it is it something that we're? Uh, is it something that's laid hold of us? It's not an issue of us laying hold of it, but it's a matter of it laying hold of us and capturing us, not being just something in our heads, but in our hearts. You know, as we look a little more at the conditions of our Lord's first coming, you know we're. Again, it's much like today. We, if you walked into Jerusalem at the, our Lord's first coming, you would see that temple flourishing. There was so much outward service going on. It was very impressive. Herod had rebuilt the temple, and rightly so. They had renamed it Herod's Temple because it was not the Lord's. It was Herod's Temple. And that was The Lord's glory wasn't there. There was a lot of beauty and a lot of majesty uh, but the Lord's glory wasn't there. His presence wasn't there. There was that outward form, but no inward reality. It's sad. They, they had the sacrificial system was going on, and there was much knowledge about him. People knew about him. They knew about his coming, but it didn't, was it really, wasn't really in their hearts, and so many at that point in time, they missed him, but what is, what was God after at that time? He's after at that time the same thing he's after at this point in time. He's looking simply for the Lord Jesus Christ to have his rightful place in the hearts of mankind. He desires for all mankind to come to know him. And he, want, he wants all mankind to not only know him as Savior, but as Lord or King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what he's desiring, that rightful place. When he came that first time, he, he wasn't coming to conquer the Roman Empire. He was actually coming to conquer the hearts of the people. In the days we're living in, what's our Lord after? He's again, he's looking for the Lord Jesus Christ to have his rightful place within our hearts, within our lives, to, uh, for our hearts to be conquered and captured by him. 
Brother Sparks had a quote about what our Lord was after. He said that Christ could have an ever-increasing fullness in the lives of his people. And I love how he just doesn't say that Christ would have a fullness in his people, but he says an ever-increasing fullness. Brothers and sisters, we, we experience so much of the Lord, but is it ever-increasing? Is it continually increasing? in our hearts, and in our lives, so that he can really receive the glory and receive the honor. I'm thankful how the brothers at this Harvey Cedars conference over the last years, have, and we've had, Maurice mentioned at one time, how we've had this theme recently focusing returning to Christ, of Christ our glory, Christ our life, Christ our identity, Christ our vision, and now Christ our coming King. It's bringing us back to him, like John in his writing says, and John is always bringing us back to Christ. That's why he says, in the beginning, in the beginning, bringing us back to him. Because he's after that life. He's after that, his life, his character and nature being formed and manifested within his people. He's looking for a people, just like Adam was looking for one. And Adam found one. He said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. There was one that answered to Adam's heart. And our Lord today is looking for ones that will answer to his heart. And in particular, that corporate expression, those ones that are being built together, those ones coming together, that heartfelt companion to our Lord, that heartfelt companion, that companion, his bride. And oh, how we pray that that bride would continue to make herself ready, that we would cooperate. We would not be those that are hindering his return, but actually helping his return. Oh, it's, as we look around, we, we see how there, there's so much today. Uh, we can talk about his return, but is it really uh, touching our hearts and lives? And it's a great challenge when we live in times like this, because normally in times of weakness or declension, People don't think, they don't realize the condition that we are in. We think everything is going great. And this is why throughout the Old Testament, the Lord sent prophets and prophets, and yet they, they, they thought they were okay, and they didn't, they didn't listen to the prophets. It's, it's interesting as you look through Jeremiah. I believe it's seven times in Jeremiah, he uses this one particular phrase about the Lord saying, you know, I sent my prophets. They were rising up early every morning. They were declaring my word every day, and yet you didn't listen to them. Oh, brother, that, that shows God's heart, his compassion, his love for his word to come forth and penetrate us in a way that would capture us afresh, renew us. Sometimes we, we, we know so much about it, we can get comfortable in our knowledge, and but we're looking for that knowledge within our heart to get come down to our knowledge in our head to come down to our heart and truly be an explosive reaction that dynamite that dynamo of power of god coming forth in his people in this day and time as we we mentioned a lot of times that ones didn't know their condition that's the way it was at the end of the old testament malachi as the lord came to them uh, they didn't and the lord challenged them and, and they didn't uh, they didn't realize the condition they were in. The Lord told them that he loved them. And they said, how have you loved us? Look at our condition. He said, they said, how have we despised you? How have we defiled you? How have we not listened to you? How have we not 
paid attention to you? How have we robbed you? They had no idea their true condition. And it's the same way at the end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, in that letter to Laodicea. Laodicea, as the Lord speaks to them, their testimony was, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. You know, and sadly, that's what we're seeing so much within the church at large today. We think we can be, we're so rich. We think we're so wonderful. We have need of nothing. But we didn't, they don't know, and sometimes we don't know our true condition. Because like in that first coming, we look around today, there's big buildings, there's lively meetings, there's great crowds, there's a lot of feel-good thing. But like at that first temple, is the glory of the Lord there? It wasn't there at that temple of Herod's time, and but is it here in this time? And as we compare that first and second coming, we have to ask ourselves, are we walking uh, in the good of it? Are we really entering into what he has? And it's easy to look at ones and say, oh, they had this and that, but, but how? let's bring it back to us. How about us? Those of us that are gathered here this weekend, ones that are, uh, are very serious. Uh, if you didn't care about the Lord, I know Dana mentioned this too, that if you didn't care about the Lord, you wouldn't be spending this weekend uh, watching all this on Zoom and being before the Lord. But you have, we have a heart. Maybe we don't have the big buildings. Maybe we don't have the big crowds, the worship teams. But uh, what's our hope in? What's our confidence in? Are we just putting it in good teaching? Are we putting it in that, that we're not a denomination? Uh, we said we're not part of a denomination, but actually subtly, if we're not careful, we can create our own denomination. Because it's not about what we have or don't have. It's about who we have living within us. It's about his life being manifested within us. And we're, we're thankful for that. And this is what we're, we're so desiring that as we've heard much this weekend, it would impact our lives in a fresh and a real way. As we consider a little more of his first coming, uh, we think about Paul when he went on that missionary, his first missionary journey. And he had traveled over to Antioch of Pisidia, and he was... Uh, he had, was sharing there on a Sabbath in the synagogue, and he was in uh, sharing uh, out of that. I'll pull up the screen here. We look at this scripture again. Uh, and he said, for those who live in, what he's describing here is how those in Jerusalem, all the ones who had so much knowledge, every Sabbath they heard his word, yet they didn't recognize him. Um uh, they, were, they knew his word about the prophets. They could quote the prophets. But yet when the Lord came, they didn't recognize him. They didn't know him in reality. And this should be a great wake-up call to us. Uh, you know, we're, we're so blessed. We can freely hear his word. We freely heard his word for, for many a year. And, but are we really hearing uh, his word? That old, you know, it's interesting as you look in the Old Testament. There's an old, there's a Hebrew word called the Shema, and I'll just briefly touch on it here. But it, uh, it's a multifaceted word. It obviously means to, to hear physically, but also besides that, it means to hear, to understand and obey. Hearing is not just the Lord's, when the Lord's speaking of us hearing and listening, it's far more than just hearing something physically, but it's hearing in our hearts and lives. And we see how this word gets used in the Old Testament. And Solomon, when he became king, his prayer, 
there in 1 Kings 3.9, he says, give your servant an understanding heart. That's that word Shema. Give your servant a hearing heart. You know, pray. That's what we need to, in this day and time, brothers and sisters, we need to have an understanding of the time. We're hearing much, but are we understanding what God is saying to us? We're hearing much, but are we distracted by the, the politics, the lawlessness and everything? Are we hearing his voice in the midst of the crowd? And the way this verse gets used in relation with, with obedience uh, is after the, the Lord speaks to Abraham, after he had offered up Isaac on that altar, and the Lord stopped him there at the last minute. The Lord gives I, uh, Abraham this promise in Genesis 22:18. It says, in your seed, all the nations shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice, because you have Shema, because you heard my voice. It's what he's saying. Because you heard my voice, you understood my voice, and you obeyed my voice. This is what the Lord is saying. And this is what, as we uh, see Paul speaking to these dear ones so much there in, um, in Antioch of Pisidia, they, were, they, they heard, but they didn't understand but these dear ones in Jerusalem. And how about us today? As we're hearing, are we really understanding? Just to be able to fully understand. We're thankful as we've heard this weekend. Brothers and sisters, it's, in one way, it's easy to sit and take notes of messages. But are we really hearing what's being said? Do we go back? Do we take those notes? Do we... Do we, do we feed upon them? Do we meditate upon them? Do we reconsider it? Do we re-listen to the messages and watch them on YouTube and all of this? Or do we just say, okay, that's another conference I've been to. I've been to, we're able to raise our hands and I've been to every Harvey Cedars conference. Praise God. That's wonderful if we have, but what's the fruit? Where's the, what, what has God gotten out of us in this? And we're thankful for all he has gotten out because we see the number of young people here. And they're, they're, they have this heart. They have this desire for the Lord. But we want to have that ever-increasing fullness, more and more of him. <laughs> Before I get everybody <laughs> totally depressed, uh, but if, uh, if we think about his first coming, it wasn't all doom and gloom. There were some there that were ready for his coming. There were some. They had this intimate relationship with him. They were available to him, and he used them. You think of a Joseph and a Mary. You think of an Elizabeth and a Zechariah. You can think of an Anna and a Simeon. You think of the wise men, the shepherds, and there were others that were waiting for the consolation of Jerusalem. And we don't have time to, to look through each one of their, these lives in detail, but I think as you look quickly at each life, there was a key in each life that will help us in these days as we are desiring to hasten his return. As we look at these, um, we'll look at their specific keys in a minute, but at first we'll see some general keys. There's some similarities we have within um, each of these lives. All of these, they were waiting, looking, watching for the Messiah. You know, they, had a, they, they knew he was coming and they were waiting, but we'll see in their waiting, they, they weren't stopping. They were just simply going about their daily lives and their daily actions. And in line with the, the theme of, of this conference, each one of them was being steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Each one of them was steadfast in their faith in him. He had delayed. It was 400 years since they'd heard a word before. There was that 400, that intertestament period there. 
but they had a steadfast faith in him. And they were immovable in their abiding in him, regardless of what they saw outwardly, regardless of all of the religious ceremonies and all of the things that they knew really weren't of God. And he hadn't come back yet. They were saying, how long, O oh Lord, how long? They were still immovable in their abiding in him because he was keeping them. And they were each abounding in their love for him. They had a love for him and it, was, it kept them going. It was abounding in them to continue to be faithful. As we look at these different ones, we will see each one was, was faithful in their daily life. There was a daily abiding, a daily faithfulness, a daily loving him. They, they weren't uh, thinking, oh, we've got to do something special. We have to do some special religious activity. No, as they were living this life, as they were living a life waiting for him, they continued daily about their responsibilities. Mary was in her house. The shepherds were in the field. Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were in their home, and then they were in the temple. And you know, we, So we see how these dear ones, they were just, they were going through their daily life, but they didn't allow their daily life to hinder them from hearing the Lord. You know, they were, con that's the key of abiding. We can go through the midst of a, a daily life, and as we're abiding in him, uh, in spite of all of the chaos, and we, we still hear that voice. We know that voice, and they heard that voice in the midst of the thing. They, they were just, we say they were going about their daily lives, and they weren't having to do something special for him, but what they were doing was whatever he put in their hands for that day, whatever he, they, he put before them, that's what they did. You know, brothers and sisters, uh, this weekend, the Lord has put before us to this conference, and we've been trying to be faithful with that. Tomorrow, He'll be put in our hands. Maybe some are going to school. Maybe some are going to work. Maybe some will be at home, whatever we're doing. That's our call from the Lord for that day tomorrow, to be faithful with that. And hearing his voice that in the midst of that daily life, we could be that bright light, that testimony unto him. Also, one of the similar things about these dear ones is that the Lord just didn't randomly pick them. But each of these had a hidden relationship with him. They had that hidden life with him and they knew him. And it wasn't like the Lord when he wanted a, a virgin to, to bring forth his son. He just said randomly, oh, oh, let me find a virgin. Oh, there's a Mary. No, he, Mary had a relationship with him. He knew Mary's heart. He knew there was a purity there. He knew that he could entrust his most precious treasure to this one. Do you think the Lord would have just entrusted the, the, that son of God, the son of man that we heard about into just anybody's hands? No, he knew of a Joseph and a Mary that he could take his most precious treasure and entrust it into their hands. And if you think about that, what has he done with us? He's taken that most precious treasure and he's entrusted it into each one of our lives. Praise God for that. That is abounding grace amazing grace. Oh, how we, we thankful, so thankful for what he has called us to in this hour and what we've been entrusted with. And as we see him, we simply desire to be those that are steadfast in our faithfulness with what he's put in our hands. Now let's look at a moment just at these, these different ones and see in the, uh, these characteristics. As you think of a Joseph, 
When I think of Joseph, I think of one who had a hearing ear. And that hearing ear of what we just talked about, he understood and obeyed. You look back at Joseph's life, uh, the Lord spoke to him in dreams and different times and talked to him about Mary being pregnant. He said, now you've got to flee to Egypt. Now you've got to, you can come back from Egypt and end up settling in Nazareth. Each of those times when the Lord spoke to Joseph, you'll notice there was immediate obedience. He understood what the Lord was saying and he obeyed him. That's what, do we have that understanding, obedient ear? Oh, this is so vital, so needed in this time. You look at the life of Mary. There's a life of purity there. And there's a life of one surrendered to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, so often we want to, the Lord to use us uh, in a way that would be glory, bring glory to him. But are we those vessels that have been made fit for the master's use? Do we know daily the preciousness of the blood of the lamb? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to cleanse us of our sins? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to do that sanctifying work, to be those set apart unto him? Brother, that's what he's looking for. That's the characteristic in the nature of his bride. One that, that, that knows the blood of the Lamb. One that is so pure that he, it answers to his heart. And this was what we see in a Mary, that purity of life. Oh, in these days of so much pollution and corruption and even within Christianity today, it's so tragic, the, the pollution there is. Brothers and sisters, may we be those that as we, as we see our king as has been presented to us, we would desire to have that pure life. It's not something we can do, but as we yield to him, he cleanses us. He purifies us as we simply cooperate with him. And in Mary, uh, the purity of life, we see one surrendered to him. Mary was a bondservant, who we've heard about this weekend. Remember her response there. It says, behold your bondslave, O my Lord, be it done to me according to your word. Or is that what we're, do we say that to the Lord every day? Lord, here we are, we're your bondservants. Be it done to me according to thy word. She didn't know what was ahead of her, but she knew who was ahead of her and who was going with her. A lot of times as we face a day, we face a certain moment or a certain event. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know who's with us. Mary had a trust. She entrusted herself, surrendered to him. May we have that spirit. So you think of a Zachariah and Elizabeth. And to me, this one's who, it's a wonderful testimony of ones who walked, walked righteously and blamelessly, faithlessly, faithfully with so many for so many years before the Lord. You know, they were they were hidden away. Uh, they were old and didn't have any children. And without that, without having children, um, they suffered much. Um, I remember in the scripture how when the Lord uh, told Elizabeth that she was going to have a child, she had John the Baptist, and she said, oh, my reproach has been taken away. Because it was a reproachful thing for a woman not to have a child in the Old Testament, because that was one of the signs of God's blessings. And yet, even though they didn't have those signs, they remained faithful in spite of the circumstances of their life. Their barrenness brought much reproach, but they stayed faithful, and they continued, and they were used mightily by the Lord. We have to suffer much in these days. Are we going to be those that are continuing in the faithfulness 
suffering reproach from ones around us, but being faithful to him and hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I think of the wise men, and when I think of them, uh, I think of ones who discern the times. They knew the signs of the times. They went to Herod and said, we, we've seen the star that speaks of the king of the Jews. Where is he? It it's it always catches my attention that these ones from another country, they were able to see the star that, that was speaking of the king of the Jews, That, but right in the middle of, of Jerusalem and right in the middle of Israel, they didn't see it. They were being so religious that they missed the Lord. Would we have ones that have that discernment to know the signs of the time, that spirit of the sons of Issachar that knew the signs of the times and knew what Israel ought to do, ones that would have know the signs of the times and know what the church ought to be doing in this day and time. We think of two dear older saints who had an Anna and a Simeon. You know, in Anna, in Anna, you see this wonderful testimony of one who's travailing prayer for many long-suffering years. And we, we know she was widowed at an early age, but, but she gave herself so to the Lord. And she was captured by that burden for the redemption of Jerusalem, captured by that burden for the Lord to come. And she was there daily praying and fasting in the temple. And in spite of... Uh, what the ones around her were saying, and really in spite of the hypocrisy around her, there she was, unnoticed by man, but noticed by God. She was praying for that Messiah to come. And when she saw, when the, she heard about the Messiah come, she didn't just keep it to herself. She went and she had fellowship. She told others that were looking for the consolation of Israel. Brothers and sisters, that's the beauty of fellowship. She was able to encourage others, that long faithfulness, how we need travailing prayer in this hour. And finally, we had dear brother Simeon there, who he had the promise of God. The Lord said, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And so he was there, standing through all those years, the promise held him. Brothers and sisters, we have been so blessed. There, there's so many rich promises of God. And we don't see some of them being fulfilled yet, but that doesn't, that doesn't invalidate them. His promises we can stand on. And as we stand there with our hope on him, our eyes upon him, we can see that fulfillment. It's beautiful picture there in the temple. There was all of this religious activity going on. Simeon is there in the temple. Mary and Joseph come in with the Lord, with the Lord Jesus, that little baby. And those religious ones, who were there offering and praying about his coming and praying for Israel. They were so occupied and had a false concept of what the king was looked like. The king was in their midst and they didn't even see him. Oh, how tragedy. What a tragedy that was. But Simeon, the eyes of his heart, the eyes of his heart saw the king and he went and he, he blessed him and he prayed, blessed Mary. Lord, what, oh, brothers and sisters, do we, do we recognize the Lord in the hour that we're living in? So many religious things going on, so many things going on in his name. But do we see his life? And when his life comes in, maybe we're in a meeting and it's total chaos and everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. But there's one brother 
one sister who has this prayer, who has this sharing of this thought, and it's the Lord. Do we recognize it? Or do we, we just, we, are we so distracted by everybody else that we don't recognize the Lord? Praise God for a Simeon that in spite of the circumstances, these ones, he, he was able to recognize the Lord. Each of these had a living relationship with him and they were available to him when he needed. They didn't know when, they didn't know if they were gonna use, use them. And none of these said, okay, I'm waiting for the Lord to use me. No, they were just simply being daily faithful unto him. The Lord called a moment for Mary. He called a moment for a Joseph. He called a moment for those wise men, called a moment for each one. And when he called, they responded. There was, in spite of the cost, in spite of the consequences, they were available to him. Brothers and sisters, are we available to the Lord in this day that when he comes and when he calls us, we could be those that are, are hearing that voice and responding to him and doing what he says? how we need that personal relationship so strengthened. And not only strengthening to free us from the world, but strengthening to free us, not only just from the secular world, but the religious world also. We have so much religious entrapments. At the Lord's first coming, there was so much of a bondage of religion that was going on that they, they couldn't see him. Oh, how we, we need to be set free from those entrapments. That's why later on in that um, Acts chapter 13, as Paul is speaking with these dear ones, he, um, he speaks to these ones in the last part of Acts 13, 41b. He says, I'm accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe or declare it to you. And this, as we said, is a quote out of Habakkuk. And I found this verse personally be very challenging. Because the Lord is, um, he's been speaking to us. He says, you know, I'm, I'm telling, I'm, there's a work. I am accomplishing a work in your days. Brothers and sisters, the Lord's accomplishing a work in our days. You know, it's a work that, are we going to believe it? Believe it in our hearts. And even though someone should describe or declare it to you. And I, I looked up this word, and it's very interesting as you look at describe or declare. What it's speaking of is that it's actually a pretty emphatic word. It's a, the word, it's a very strong expression of the fullest and clearest declaration. You have something declared so thoroughly that anybody could understand it. They, 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 they have explained it to you in such comprehensive detail and a simplicity that you can understand it. And the Lord has said, this is what I've done for you. I have told you about my first coming and you didn't hear it. And brothers and sisters, for us, he's told us about his second coming. Are we hearing it? One brother commented on this, uh, the strength of this word at the end there was like Paul had hurled a thunderbolt at the close. He was really getting their attention. And so we're, we're thankful. So we have the question before us, do we really believe what we believe? Do we believe in a way that it impacts and directs our lives? Not simply agreeing with the teaching of his coming, the kingdom, the, the rapture, the judgment seat of Christ, the, all of these things, rewards and everything, is the reality of his coming impacting our lives in such a way? Or are we just going on living a normal religious life, uh, handling things in ourselves? When we 
we look at his teachings of the second coming, what influences us the most? We're thankful that there's so many teachings and it's telling us and we've had it explained to us, but what in the days we're living in, what is impacting us? What impacts our interpretation, our thoughts, our belief of his coming? Is it the word of God or is it the woke culture of the days we're living in? There's this culture out there that has rejected the applicability of the word of God. There's a culture out there that has watered down the concepts of a holy God, polluted, totally polluted the, and misrepresented the love of God, misrepresented a loving heavenly father, rejecting the word of the cross. And we can go on and on of everything of how it's rejected. And there's so much things of the Lord that are distorted, but who's distorting these? Sadly, much of this distortion, it's not coming from the world. It's coming from within the church at large. And doesn't that remind us of the Lord's first coming? When the Lord's first coming, they had a wrong concept of God. They thought he was going to be this all victorious one, but he came riding in a donkey. He came as a suffering savior, as we saw and see in Isaiah 53. Sadly, you know, as we see the, the Lord being so misrepresented today, his love is so weakened and polluted. It's like God loves everything. They almost make it like God loves sin, and that's okay. Brothers and sisters, that's not okay. They always forget God is a holy God. There's a righteousness there. Um, because as you, it was, the, that's what it to me is so tragic, is how the, the church at large has so misrepresented our Lord. It's misrepresented his heart. It's misrepresented his purpose, misrepresented his coming. And these are what, when the media goes and looks at for religious leaders, this is who they talk with so often. And they talk about, they'll talk about the irrelevancy of the word of God being a, it was good back then, but it's not now. That's the religion. But when you stop and think again at his first coming, these religious leaders, they rejected him, but they not only rejected him, who was the ones that crucified our Lord. It was the religious leaders, those scribes and Pharisees. The religious leaders were the ones that they didn't recognize him. They didn't know him and they ended up crucifying him. And the people in their blindness and out of some ignorance just, just went along with it. Oh, what a, what a call we have upon us. That's why I've appreciated that theme verse of being steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. <clears throat> because there's there's so much the Lord is desiring to accomplish among his people in this day and in this hour. <clears throat> you know, when we think about the Lord's second coming, uh, there's actually, in, in a very broad scope, most people, almost everybody, except for some very liberal theologians, agree the, the Lord is coming back. There will be his second coming. Uh, there, there might be various interpretations on the sequence of events, the timing of events, the number of raptures, and this and that. But overall, there's this um, belief that our Lord is coming back. And we're thankful we can agree on that. And when he returns, there will be a time of accountability. There's that time of accountability for saints before the judgment seat of Christ. Not having to do with our salvation, but having to do with rewards and lack of rewards. 
And then there's a time of the great white throne. And that's for unbelievers. Praise God, believers never appear before that great white throne. Believers are safe and secure. We will before the, go before that judgment seat of Christ and our deeds will be looked at before the Lord. There's that day of accountability. But even when we talk about a day of accountability ahead of us, that's not popular today. It's because in this culture that we're living in, uh, when you hold somebody personally responsible or personally accountable, um, it's so misrepresented in this day. That's why we have to have the word of God governing our lives and not this woke culture. How are we going to respond? You know, the Lord told them in Acts, you're probably not going to believe what I'm going to do, even though I'm telling you. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is telling us very clearly what is going on. We've heard very clearly what is going on. Even this conference, we've heard very clearly what, what's going on and what will be occurring and how we're to be living in these days. Uh, is our ambition to be pleasing to him? Thank the Lord. We have a loving heavenly father and a loving elder brother who is singing a beautiful love song to us. It's a song leading to life. But there's also a song out there that the world and the religious world is singing and it's very enticing, but it's a song that leads to death. Which ones of these are we going to respond to? Are we going to be those that are responding to that pathway of life? Because in the clarity, brothers and sisters, he has so spoken to us. And as, he, as we've spoken to him, if we look back at our lives over the years, and he's called us on that path of life, well, we can testify uh, of the many wonderful times we've had experiences with him. We, we know the reality of who he is and what he can do. And yet at times we can enter a new little crisis and all of a sudden that we forget that. Would that be so settled in our hearts that we're, we're knowing him and that we're that place of abiding. And as we talk about that path, you know, let's not, um, let's not make some um, rosy, beautiful looking little path. But what was the path that he had to walk? The path of life that he walked was a path where he was despised, he was rejected, and suffering unto death. That hymn we sang this morning, uh, the last hymn about, look ye saints, the sight is glorious. Uh, I was, uh, I appreciated uh, Daniel uh, leading that. I was waiting for Elijah to play the saxophone though, but maybe some other time Elijah can play for us. But as we see here, in this hymn, I'm just going to read some of the first verse. It says, look, ye saints, that sight is glorious. See the man of sorrows now. So it's starting off, it's the man of sorrows. But from the, from the flight returned victorious. All through he went through, he returned victorious. Crowned him. Crown becomes the victor's brow. So we see a great we could say almost a transformation from a man of sorrows to one, the king of kings, wearing that victor's crown. Brothers and sisters, do we, have we had a fresh view? Are we captured by that beauty of our Lord? The fresh beauty, that beauty that's presented to us in Isaiah 53. It's not an earthly beauty, but it's a heavenly beauty. It's a true beauty of kingliness. And this is what we, we need, that fresh vision of the true beauty of kingliness. 
sometimes we can look at kingliness and we just see the, the grand throne and we see the robes and we see the splendor. But what did our Lord have to go through for our sake, for us to enter into that? What did he have to go through to return, to be crowned as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? He had to be despised. He had to be rejected. He had to suffer. He had to be misunderstood. But he had that hope set before him. And brothers and sisters, as we have been captured by that beauty, I love that hymn, Jesus, Lord, I'm captured by thy beauty. All to thee, my heart, I open wide. Now set free from all religious duty, only let me in thyself abide. There's a capturing by his beauty, the beauty of the true one who first loved us and died for us. And that's the path we walk through also. As we walk along that path, we have, those, we have our eyes set before us. We have our eyes fixed upon him, as we see so often in the book of Hebrews. There was, he saw a joy set before him. Do we see that joy? Do we see that beauty set before us? That's what helps us. When we talk about vision, so often we talk about vision, and then somebody gives a, an hour-long message on some doctrine of vision. But what is vision? Vision is simply seeing the beauty of the Lord. That's vision. What's the heavenly vision? It's seeing the beauty of Christ. Oh, it's, vision is, is a person. Vision is seeing him. It's not vision of a vision is not a teaching. It's, it's not a doctrine. It's not some concept, but vision is a person of Christ. And our Lord had vision of that joy set before him. He saw the Father's heart. He saw pleasing the Father's heart. Do we have that vision, that fresh vision of our Lord Jesus Christ, that lamb freshly slain? Now that, that lamb upon the throne that mighty one, the beauty and the splendor of all his majesty. And as we see that, it will draw us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow him. And as we follow him, brothers and sisters, there's a beautiful picture in Revelation that we can close with. As we look at those that follow the lamb, it says, these are the ones that are before the throne of the lamb in Mount Zion, out of Revelation 14.4. These are the ones... They've not been defiled with women, for they've kept themselves chaste. There's a purity. There's a holiness there. These are ones, not perfect, but cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Because, And what did they do? There's a some beautiful simplicity here. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. It doesn't brag about their knowledge of all the doctrines, their ability to quote all these scriptures, or their ability to teach on this doctrine or that or uh, I want to be careful I don't we need to have the teaching please don't misunderstand that but that teaching needs to lead to life teaching is simply a tool that leads to life our doctrines and our uh, the things that we believe are they're those vehicles to lead us into life his life and then as we have that life capturing us we follow the lamb wherever he goes the days before us are become are shorter and shorter for his, his soon return. And may we, can we stop playing around? Let's just stop playing church. Let's just stop trying to fulfill all of my desires and stop trying to even be culturally correct, but be willing to be misunderstood uh, as we follow the Lord, misunderstood quite often by other brothers and sisters. 
May we be those that are willing to be misunderstood by our coworkers. Are we willing to not be culturally correct, to be mocked at because we're not part of a woke culture? But brothers and sisters, I, we need to have the Lord as king in our lives now. As we've heard about him, reign, we, that we can reign in life now. <clears throat> I always remember Brother Ed Miller, as he was sharing one time, he said, how can we expect to welcome the king in the future? If we do not welcome him into our hearts and lives today as king, are we welcoming him into our hearts and lives today as king? Has the beauty, grandeur, and glory of the Lord captured us in such a way that we're living for him, rejoicing in him? We pray that as we come uh, this last day, as we consider this theme, may the reality of my king coming, the reality of our king coming, impact our lives and our assembly life in a glorious way. And may we be those who stay steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the life of Christ that you have shown and unveiled to us. We're thankful for the beauty that we see in this despised, rejected one. Lord, we want to be those that are learning from those uh, that were there at that first coming. So many missed you because they had a wrong concept. But thankful you had faithful ones there that were ready and available for your use. Well, that's who we want to be. We don't know how many days or years are left before you return. But as we offer ourselves to you, Lord, we want to be those that are available for your use. Those that are continuing steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That we would know our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Lord, may you be glorified in your people. Seal up your word this weekend. Seal it within each of our hearts, guard it within our hearts, and cause it to be that seed that brings forth fruit, not just 30-fold, not just 60-fold, fruit that would bear fruit a hundredfold to the full glory of God. In thy name we pray. Amen.